You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 15 this morning. Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 14 through 33, which is a lot of verses to cover, but uh, I think we can do it this morning. This is the conclusion of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And uh, you could, uh, I think, say that given up to this point, Paul has been giving them uh, his, uh, his theology, but now, beginning here in verse 14, he begins to give them something of his heart. And uh, he, he shares of his love for them and his reasons for not having come to visit them yet, but his desire and plans to do so. And, and in all of that, we get a glimpse of Paul's perspective about ministry, how he approached ministry, his heart to uh, see the gospel preached to the lost. And so let's give our attention to God's word this morning. Romans 15, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. 
Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we pray each Sunday morning that, Lord, you would please illumine our hearts and minds by your spirit, that we might have hearing, that we might have seeing, that this, your word might find um, root place in our hearts, deep in our hearts, that it would, you would have your work transforming us to be more like your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me as your instrument this morning. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we come to passages like these and in, uh, uh, like this one in Romans, we're, we're perhaps often tempted to discount them as, as irrelevant. Uh, the reason is, is because they're so uh, partly personal in nature. Paul writing in first, uh, the middle, middle of the first century, he's writing to a people who uh, are, lar- are long gone. He's writing about ministry plans uh, from a long time ago. What possible... Uh, relevance could they have today? But, but I think to approach the Bible in that way is to think wrongly. There's a sense in which these verses, uh, they reveal to us several things about Paul and his ministry, but, but in, in one sense, these verses are, are the whole point of, of the gospel, of the message that he's been sharing now for 15 chapters. That is this life-giving, this transforming, uh, community-shaping gospel that this gospel needs to go forth to the ends of the earth. That it's the ministry that Paul, and in some sense, every Christian has been called to. And so though these words are very personal in nature, I think they're very powerful in message. Paul has written in chapter one, verse 11, of his longing to come and visit the Christians in Rome. He wanted to encourage them in the gospel and ultimately to partner with them in the spread of this gospel. And here at the end of the letter, Paul reiterates that intention once again, the fact that he plans to come to visit them, but uh, it's on his way to Spain uh, in, in order to preach the gospel to them. And so Paul hopes that the, the Christians here in Rome will partner with him in that mission and help support him as he goes uh, to Spain, perhaps both financially and spiritually. It's no surprise that Paul would want this. Uh, be, because as we see in the New Testament, everywhere that Paul preached, everywhere that he went and preached, people were being saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, The gospel, as he wrote in chapter one, verse 16, it truly was the power and is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also to the Greek. There was simply no barrier that could be put up that would stop the gospel. Whether the gospel was preached in Antioch or whether it was preached in Lystra, whether it was preached in Miletus or Derbe, uh, will it work in Corinth? Yes, it worked in Corinth. Will it work in Ephesus? Yes, it works in Ephesus. The gospel works everywhere. There's no greater power of God than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fascinating thing is that Paul has been emphasizing for us in chapters 12 through 15 is that the gospel also works in the church. And you say, now wait a minute, you say the gospel, I thought the gospel was for the world. Oh, the gospel is for the world, but the gospel is also for the church. 
It's for us today. And you only need to be a part of a church, really any church, for a little while, and you realize that if there's anywhere that needs the gospel, it's the people of the church. Amen? Amen. Of course, amen. Believers need the gospel because it's the power of God. And it's the power of God, not just for our justification that Paul spent so much time talking about, but, but power for our salvation. And what Paul has been laboring to show us here in these chapters, really chapter 9 all the way to chapter 15, is that the power of God for the, of the gospel of salvation is both for Jews and Gentiles. And, and that power is that, it, that it, it makes us into a community of, together called the church. The gospel doesn't just produce save individuals who uh, live at arm's length with one another, as though this is all about a private individual thing. But the reason why the gospel makes such an impact on the world is because it produces a community where believers welcome one another for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so in that community, that church, the reconciling work of Jesus Christ is, is proven, it's, it's exemplified, it's lived out, it's presence among the, the, the present among the body of people who have gathered for the church. This is why what Paul's been talking about in chapters 14 to 15 is so important. If, if we are, our fellowship isn't something that's incidental uh, to the gospel. It, it's a demonstration of that gospel. If we're alienated from a fellow Christian, a brother and sister in Christ, we're in effect denying the very gospel, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel is powerful, not just in the change that it brings inside of us, but also in the change that it brings outside of us in relationships with one another. This is also the heart, I think, of why Paul wrote this lengthy letter to the Christians in Rome. It's interesting how he comes back to relationships here, doesn't it? It wasn't because Paul thought lowly of them that he wrote these things. It's actually because he loved them, right? Verse 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about you. He's trying to encourage them, isn't he? My brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another he says, but, but on some points, I've written to you very boldly, he says, by way of reminder. It's interesting. He shares a couple of reasons. He, he, he heard at the very end for why he's written this letter. The first one is by way of reminder. The, the gospel ministry is largely about a, a reminder, uh, a, a restatement. It's about reminding one another over and over again and urging one another to recommit ourselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. The very things Paul commends them for there in verse 14 are the things that he hopes they will continue to grow in, right? The, their, uh, the moral impact of the gospel, the fact that he says they're full of goodness, character, in other words. Uh, he hopes they continue to grow in knowledge. You see it there in the list and, and understanding of the gospel. Paul doesn't want them or us to be, to be blown about by every wind of teaching that comes down the pike, but for us to be rooted and founded, have discernment and knowledge of the gospel. And then third, he wants us to, to be able to instruct one another, to share the gospel with clarity and in fact admonish one another. That's the word, admonish one another with the gospel. 
So the, the first reason he wrote is by way of reminder. The second reason that he writes is he says, because of my calling to this gospel ministry. Verse 15 again, he says, on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And what's insightful here and helpful here is in these next several verses, Paul describes, we kind of get a look at the nature of his ministry, uh, which is where I, I want us to think about this morning, that how Paul views his gospel ministry. What are the things that marked his, his particular ministry as he lays it out and explains it here? I, notice a few things this morning. First of all, Paul viewed his ministry as priestly service. Verse 16, he says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. As you look and I hope that you'll look at that verse and stare at it for just a moment because you see lots of words that are used there. There's actually... Uh, many words there that are used directly or indirectly talking about priestly services. The word minister, unique there, is one who performs kind of religious or ritualistic services, religious services. Then you have the, the word priestly service. But then also you have the word offering. We think about priests making offerings. You have the phrase acceptable to God. That reminds us of Romans 12, 1, doesn't it? That, that offering again, the living sacrifice, acceptable to God, he says. Along with that phrase, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. All of these are priestly kinds of terms, speaking of the, the duties of a priest. Paul, Paul pictures himself here as, as one who is doing priestly work, namely by bringing an offering to God, the Gentiles, living sacrifices. He, he regards his ministry to them, the Gentiles, as uh, offering them the gospel so that, that when they respond to the gospel, they will become holy and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's really this, it's a beautiful picture of, of, of his ministry. I was thinking this week, I was walking around the hallways during vacation Bible school and seeing all of the, the people that were working, the volunteers that were serving. And I was thinking about this passage. What are, you, what, what are you doing when you serve in vacation Bible school? What, what are you doing when you're teaching in Sunday school, for that matter, in those classrooms? Or you're working with youth, or you're working with adults? Or what do you do if you're sitting beside someone, uh, comforting them, ministering to them in their time of, of need? Paul says, think about it this way. He's saying, you're a servant of the Lord, and you're bringing your ministry, you're bringing your service to the Lord and to those whom you are minister. And, and you're saying this in effect, Lord, may my service to you and, and, and may these ones in whom I am ministering to, may, may they be both a sacrifice of praise to you, that you would receive it and bless them, Lord, unto your, yourself. This isn't just mere service. Paul says it's a priestly service to the Lord. It's one that is given to God, sacrifice offered to God as worship to him. Do you view your ministry in that way? Do you view your service to the Lord in that way? 
How many of us would say and should be able to say what a privilege and blessing it is to serve the Lord as a mere offering to him in worship, amen? What a beautiful way to think of that. A second mark of Paul's ministry was preaching. It was preaching. Notice verses 17 through 19. He says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work of God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrim, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 19, he'll go on to, or verse 20, he'll go on to just call it preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry was not just marked by priestly service, but notice it was marked particularly by preaching. And he uses very descriptive words to describe this that are are exemplary to us in, in, in our practice. Notice the humility that marked his preaching. In Christ Jesus, then, verse 17, I have reason to be proud of my work to God, for I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Paul was not proclaiming things done by himself, but he was proclaiming the things that Christ had done. Paul was a marvelous instrument of God because of, in many ways, because of his humility, humility in ministry, giving God the credit for the work, boasting in Jesus Christ and not himself. His ministry was marked by humility, it was marked by faithfulness. Notice the end of verse 18, he says, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Paul's message was a faithful gospel message that was calling to obedience. He saw that message as calling people to obey the Lord, to submit their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He, in fact, he even said it in those terms in chapter 1, verse 5. He, uh, he, he said his ministry was to bring about the obedience of faith, a submission to Jesus Christ. Uh, his preaching, third, was marked by authenticity. Notice uh, the end of verse 18, is, his preaching was by word and deed. Paul was living out the message that he preached. His preaching was powerful. Notice verse 18, or 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, just a brief word about that. Anytime you see that phrase, signs and wonders, It should remind you of either the prophets in the Old Testament or the apostles in the New Testament. Signs and wonders, in other words, were a phrase in the Bible was always connected, always connected to periods of time of the prophets and the apostles. In other words, when new revelation of God was being given. And since we have the Bible today, signs and wonders, as Paul calls them here, are not normative for us today. Now, that being said, God still does amazing and wonderful things, doesn't he? Right? Amen? Does he not? But it's not the same as with the prophets and the apostles in the Bible. And so we view those things biblically and with discernment. We, we certainly can expect God to see, to see God accomplish great things through the preaching of his word, namely salvations, which is the greatest miracle of all. 
transformed lives. But we could go on, churches planted, relationships reconciled, marriages mended, sinful habits broken and people giving over to holiness uh, and many more things. Paul's preaching was powerful. Fifth, Paul's preaching was thorough. Verse 19, he says it was from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel Christ. I think that's a summary statement of Paul's missionary journeys that he had already taken. He's saying that I've faithfully preached all the way around. And it would have been some 1,400 miles that Paul had traveled to share the gospel of Jesus. I hope you know, church, this is, I think, a reminder to us that among all the things that we could do for the Lord, we could do all kinds of things to serve the Lord, but among all the things that we could do for the Lord, that proclaiming the gospel is the primary call of, our, of the church. The primary call. Remember Paul's words in, uh, back in chapter 10, verse 14, when he says, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? This is why Paul's ministry was marked by preaching, preaching the gospel. Colossians 1:28 says, him, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. The New Testament's filled with this, right? We're to be witnesses of Christ. We're to be ambassadors of him, ambassadors of the gospel. We're to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And in any faithful church, it always starts here at the pulpit where the gospel's proclaimed. And then it's, it goes down into our Sunday school classes, but it goes from all of our ministries as well. The fundamental reason, I told this to the, the families on Bible school on family night, I, I, I said the, re, the reason that we exist is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to preach Christ, him crucified and raised from the dead. Paul's ministry was marked by preaching. Third, his ministry was marked by a, a pioneering spirit. Verse 20, he says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's ambition was to take the gospel to those who had not heard it. Uh, he saw his ministry as one connected there. That quote is from Isaiah 52, 15. Those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. That's the mission there in Isaiah 52. You may remember as a part of the suffering servant passage speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus was to sprinkle the nations so that they would hear and understand the gospel. And Paul sees himself as participating in that very mission, proclaiming Christ to to those who have not heard. You think about the life of Paul, what we read in letters like this and, and in other places, it was this pioneering kind of spirit that, that led Paul to take the gospel, to want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and in this particular case to Spain. He says in verse 22, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, in other words, the regions that he's been in, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you, see you the Romans, in passing as I go to Spain. 
Again, Paul wrote in, back in chapter one, verse 13, that he had wanted to come to Rome many times, but that he had been prevented. And here he gives us the reasons why he had been prevented to coming to them. It had to do with the mission. John Stott puts it this way. He says, on the one hand, because Paul was concentrating on pioneer evangelism elsewhere, he was not free to go to Rome. But on the other hand, because the Roman church had not been founded by him, he did not feel at liberty to come and stay. But here in his letter to them, he is planning to come and stay. But surprisingly, he reveals to them here in our our text that it's only going to be for a short visit. It's only going to be to encourage them because Paul has his vision set on Spain, presumably where Christ has not been preached and no local churches have been planted there yet. Again, this is why I would say this passage is so relevant here at the end of Romans. It, you know, obviously Paul is long past. These plans have long gone and so, so forth. But there's a sense in which the whole point of what Paul has been saying up to this point in the gospel is for the very purpose of world evangelization, isn't it? I mean, the reason he's laid out this gospel like this is the fact that the gospel needs to go to Jew and to the Greek and to the very ends of the earth. Paul's... Ambition here is noteworthy. We know from Philippians 2, 3 that we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition, right? But this is not selfish ambition, is it? This is a godly ambition. This is not a man chasing after fame and a name and reputation. This is a man who is consumed by Christ, filled with the Spirit, overflowing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you not agree that the church today needs more with a pioneering spirit like this to take the gospel? Jesus told us to pray for laborers to go into the harvest field. And we need to be thankful for those that God raises up with such ambition, but we also need to be praying for more people. More workers, more laborers, more who are gifted, energetic, godly, ambitious people to step forward to do that. And we also need to be asking ourselves, Lord, how do you want to use me in this? Has God given me a gift by which to serve him? That leads us forth to a fourth um, uh, mark of Paul's ministry, and we would just simply call that partnership. Partnership. He says there in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and here it is, to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, he says, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. And when, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered that offering, in other words, to them, which has been collected, I'll leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. It's it's remarkable here to read these kinds of words and how planned and thoughtful Paul was in his missionary endeavors. 
I mean, first he says, I'm about to sail from Corinth. By the way, Corinth is where Paul is at when he is writing this letter to the Romans. There's a period of about three months, most believe that is when he was writing this letter to them. He's in Corinth. He says, I'm about to sail out of Corinth. I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be taking this offering, this collection with me that he's been traveling around the churches collecting. It's going to go to help the Jews who are in Jerusalem struggling with severe poverty. He says, secondly then, I'm gonna leave Jerusalem, I'm gonna head to Rome, verse 24, but it's only gonna be passing through. I'm only going to come, I hope to be refreshed by your company, but I also hope to secure that partnership, that, that you will become kind of a base camp for me to take the gospel to Spain. And then third, he says, he hopes to travel to Spain to evangelize and plant churches there. If he were to make all these journeys, by the way, someone calculated it would be some 3,000 miles um, if he went by ship and even more if he went by, by land. It's an extraordinary undertaking, isn't it? Now, it's not clear whether Paul made it to Spain Um, We know that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. Acts tells us that. That was not part of the plan. Uh, It was part of the Lord's plan though, right? He spent two years in prison there before he was extradited to Rome. He did make it to Rome, but it wasn't because, it was because they took him there as a prisoner. And it's not clear exactly what happened next. It seems that he was possibly acquitted there in Rome the first time Um, And and we aren't certain that he reached Spain, though there's one early church father, Clement of Rome, who indicates that he just may have made it to to Spain um, before Paul was then uh, killed for his faith. But what stands out is Paul's pioneering spirit here and also his desire for partnership. It's all over this text, isn't it? I mean, he's traveling around the churches. He's, he's getting them to partner together on this offering, if you will. He, he's writing letters to connect churches, to connect with churches and connect other churches to partner with them. And, and uh, in this gospel, he's galvanizing support for future mission endeavors. And so once again, we see Paul, that part of the power of the gospel was to unite believers together into a gospel-minded and a mission-minded community. That's who we're to be, church. Paul's expectation is that the entire local church family would be personally, strategically involved in this, this world mission effort. Yes, some are called, uh, they used to say to go in the well, if you will, to be a missionary. Others of us are called to hold the rope and support them as missionaries. Everyone is called to the fifth mark that Paul mentions, which is prayer. Prayer. What marked his ministry? Prayer. Verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's interesting, I remind you, chapter one, verses nine and 10, Paul assured the Romans that he had prayed for them. 
And now he is asking that they would strive together with him in prayers. And, and, and such praying takes effort. Notice it's a commitment. It's a striving, isn't it? Those of you who know, who desire to have prayer lives, I hope all of you do, but you know there's a striving involved in that. But it's critical, Paul says. It's critical to the mission. It's critical to the, the success, if you will, or the fruitfulness of the, the church's gospel work. First, he prays, he asks them to pray for deliverance from the enemies of the gospel in Judea, the unbelievers. Second, he prays that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem would accept that collection, that it would it would bring unity in the church between Jews and Gentile, not division. And third, that God might grant him safe travel so that he could get there and have a joyful and refreshing meeting with the Roman Christians. And again, though God didn't answer Paul's prayer exactly as he had hoped, he did answer them. Notice that phrase, verse 32, by the will of God. That's how we always pray, isn't it? By the will of God. The purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to ours, but it's to align our will to his. The struggle of prayer is always that, isn't it? It's that process of discerning God's will and desire above everything else. And this is why it's critical that we partner together in prayer. The whole endeavor, the church, the ministry, all of what you're reading here, the, the missions, all of this, you understand, is dependent on God, on His power. Whether he works and, and empowers our, our efforts. I was praying, walking around praying this week again, and I was praying, uh, uh, my prayer was being guided by Psalm 127. Some of you, you, you may not know right exactly what that prayer is, but you remember these words. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the, what, those who build it labor in, in vain. And what kept standing out to me as I was praying was that phrase, unless the Lord. Unless the Lord. It's not that we don't labor, is it? And in fact, these verses are calling us to labor, aren't they? In all of these different ways, we're to labor at these things. We're to labor hard in the ministry that Paul is laying out for the ministry of the gospel. So many of you did, by the way, again this week. Thank you for that. But, but we do so. We labor keenly dependent on the Lord. We do so knowing that unless the Lord, there's no lasting fruit to our labor. Oh, church, what an incredible reminder we have in this text today. Paul's ministry, our ministry, marked by by priestly service, marked by preaching, marked by a pioneering spirit, marked by partnership. Though we labor in all of these things, our greatest labor, though, must be striving in prayer. Because only God can make us fruitful, can he? Don't you pray that? Oh, God, make us fruitful for you. Oh, God, work. And my measly effort and my, my little labor, my little part here, oh God, only you can save souls. 
Oh God, only you can break down walls. Only you can conquer strongholds as the scripture calls them. Only you can soften hard hearts. Only you can make a church grow. Only you can grow us spiritually. Only you can grow us numerically. Only unless the Lord does so. God help us to partner together in all of these things, but especially prayer. Now, which of these marks do you need to devote yourself to? I encourage you to give a little thought to that as we end our service today. Maybe something in here uh, that was said, one of these marks, where are you at? Where's your heart at? Where's your life at? Are you, where do you need to devote yourself more to this gospel ministry? That's the invitation. I pray you think about it this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word and and, uh, this very personal ending here of of Romans. And uh, Lord, we pray once again that, I I pray that uh, my commentary, my words would not just be heard, but that you would be heard, Your, your voice, your voice of conviction. Your, your voice of encouragement. May, may we hear your voice and may we respond to, to whatever your voice is speaking to us about today. You, you tell us that your sheep know your voice. And so help us to hear and obey. And so we give this time to you for public commitment today. Perhaps there's someone here that in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ has come under conviction for their sins. And we pray for them, Lord, that they might repent and believe and be saved. For those that might be under conviction of their service to you, perhaps their lack of service, maybe their selfish ambition or pride, Whatever it is, Lord, help us to be obedient to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.